We are putting a pause to our multi-part series about how AG Bill Barr and FBI Director Christopher Wray played a role in the stolen election of 2020. We're putting a pause because there's a lot of important news that took place today. and We want to get back to news analysis of current and important news events, of which the biggest one is what happened in the Supreme Court today. We're in a situation where we have put together, and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments today over whether former President Donald Trump is eligible to run for a second term in the White House. Colorado's Supreme Court barred Trump from holding public office based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, it does not explicitly reference the president, but it does say anyone who participates in insurrection cannot hold office. The former president is arguing that this does not apply to him or his conduct while in the White House. His attorneys also say if the Colorado ruling is upheld, it could have dangerous repercussions for elections across the U.S. Welcome to a very important news day. Today is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. Big hug to all of y'all. I am James, a.k.a. BCP, Black Conservative Patriot, and you were watching or listening to the BCP podcast. Now, today was a huge day because the Supreme Court heard the arguments for Colorado and their legal representation on why President Trump was removed from the ballot in that state and should not be on the ballot, why he is ineligible to be on the ballot because he's an insurrectionist. Even though, as I'm going to show you in clips from the justices, Katanji Brown Jackson trying to make a case that he's an insurrectionist, while uh, it's either Kavanaugh or Gorsuch saying, okay, if he's an insurrectionist, where's the charge of an insurrection? Plus, to go back to look at the historical precedents of which there is none and why. And then an important question where the section three is about holding office, not running for office. So let's start off with Jonathan Mitchell, lawyer for Donald Trump, explaining how this is wrong or giving an introduction to why this is wrong because of several reasons. And then let's introduce you to Jason Murray, the lawyer for Colorado. The Colorado... The Colorado Supreme Court held that President Donald J. Trump is constitutionally disqualified from serving as president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The Colorado Supreme Court's decision is wrong and should be reversed for numerous independent reasons. The Trump side will argue it wasn't an insurrection. It doesn't apply to the president 
and therefore that and other reasons, it should be dismissed. It, it, it doesn't meet that threshold. But on the other side, you'll see that Jason Murray is arguing that in fact, not only was it an, ins- was it an insurrection, it's the first time that a sitting president led an insurrection and therefore he should not be on the ballot. For the first time in history, the attack was incited by a sitting president of the United States to disrupt the peaceful transfer of presidential power, is what Jason Murray goes on to argue. Also saying by engaging in insurrection against the Constitution, President Trump disqualified himself from public office. But how does he draw the conclusion that President Trump engaged in an insurrection? And that is the question that Brett Kavanaugh asked him. He had the opportunity to call witnesses remotely. He didn't use all of his time at trial. There was ample process here, and this is how ballot access determinations in election cases are are decided all the time. Okay, Uh, second question. Some of the rhetoric of your position, I don't think it is your position, but some of the rhetoric of your position seems to suggest unless the states can do this, no one can prevent insurrectionists from holding federal office. But obviously Congress has enacted statutes, uh, including one still in effect, Section 2383 of Title 18 prohibits insurrection. It's a federal criminal statute. And if you're convicted of that, you are, it says, shall be disqualified from holding any office. And so there is a federal statute on the books, but um, President Trump has not been charged with that. So what, what are we to make of that? Kavanaugh killed two birds with one stone in this because what Jason uh, Murray and Colorado was arguing, as you heard Kavanaugh say, is it's this, the state of Colorado is arguing that it's the state's authority, position, and duty to withhold insurrectionists from even running for office, stopping them before they can even get into a federal office. And Kavanaugh is saying, no, there's laws and statutes and actions that Congress has already taken to address this. They even talk about during this hearing that Congress historically has not even seated people and they have the power to not even seat people. So it's not the fact that Colorado is saying that the buck stops with the states and if it's not for the states, then a whole bunch of insurrectionists would end up in D.C. But at the very end of that, he asked the million-dollar question. Uh, Did President Trump, like, show me where President Trump actually has been charged or anyone is saying officially, legally, that he even was involved in an insurrection. And so there is a federal statute on the books, but um, President Trump has not been charged with that. So what, what are we to make of that? That's really, I think, the, the most important argument. Now, I'm no legal expert. I, I hold no legal degree. I think I did take a pre-law class at Berkeley during either my second or third semester there or something like that. But that's about as much as uh, I have. And I was going to go to law school at one point. I don't, know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever talked about that, but that's not important. The important is I have no legal background. So I'm not going to try to break this down as a legal expert. But I do have common sense. And common sense says, if you're going to keep someone off of a ballot for a certain crime, where is the charge of that crime? 
and you just can't hold someone uh, from being on a ballot because you accuse them of a crime. We still have this little legal theory and tradition that is enshrined in our law that you are innocent until proven guilty. Just being charged with an insurrection, whether it's by a, a secretary of state, whether it's by a politician, whether it's by a, a state Supreme Court justice, doesn't mean that you are guilty of it just because you are accused, charged, or even indicted. You must be proven guilty. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, so let's rewind. The first part of that, Jason Murray's talking about how it's the state right to stop them from doing this. So let me jump over to another exchange with the Colorado folks and with the great justice, the OG black conservative, if you will, Justice Clarence Thomas, asking him repeatedly, okay, you're saying that it's the state's purview to do this or whatever. What is the precedent for this? And you're going to hear him ask him several times, what's the precedent? And Jason Murray can't answer him because there isn't one. States have created under their Article One and Article Two powers to run elections. But it would seem that particularly uh, uh, after Reconstruction uh, and after the Compromise of 1877 and during the period of Redeemers, that you would have that kind of conflict. There were a plethora of Confederates still around. There were any number of people who would continue to either run for state offices or national offices. So it would seem it, it, that would suggest that there would at least be a few examples of uh, national uh, candidates being uh, disqualified, if your reading is correct. Well, there were certainly national candidates who were disqualified by Congress refusing to seat them. I understand that, but that's not this case. I'm talking... Did states disqualify them? That's what we're talking about here. I understand Congress would not seat them. Justice Thomas, taking this back to the historical moment in which was the genesis, was the catalyst, was the reason for Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. They didn't want these Confederate people in, fed in federal offices and therefore, they put this in there. So at that time, there should be examples and precedents of them interpreting the law the way Colorado is interpreting it in 2024. Because there was plethora of instances of the union being afraid of having Confederate insurrectionists in federal office. So tell me, Mr. Murray, nicely, professionally, legally, is the question that the great Clarence Thomas is asking him. Give us examples of this. There should have been a lot more examples of that after the Civil War than in 2023, 2024. Other than the example I gave, no. But again, Your Honor, that, that's not surprising. Strike one for Jason Murray and the state of Colorado. No, there, there is no case. There is no example. There is no precedent of this. 
So Jason Murray goes on uh, again, and then you're going to hear Clarence Thomas ask him again. Okay, that's well and all, but give me a case of where this was done. And again, Jason Murray comes up with Zich Zero, big fat goose egg. Other than the example I gave, no, but again, Your Honor, that, that's not surprising because there wouldn't have been, states certainly wouldn't have the authority to remove a city. So what's the purpose officer. of the, what was the purpose of the, uh, of Section 3? Uh, the states were sending people, uh, the, the concern was that the former Confederate states would continue being bad actors. And the effort was to prevent them from doing this. And you're saying that, well, this also authorized states to disqualify candidates. So what I'm asking you for, if you are right, what are the examples? Well, Your Honor, the examples are states excluded many candidates for state office, individuals holding state offices. Strike two for Jason Murray. The great justice Clarence Thomas wants to know what is the precedent, what is the example of the state stopping someone from seeking a federal or national office? This is the second time that Clarence Thomas asked him this question, and this is the second time that Jason Murray has no answer for him. Strike two, Jason, strike two. You know what happens after strike three, right? That uh, I would hope that every American knows whether they like sports or not. Or, or not. Three strikes, you're out. We have a number of published cases of, of states. I understand that. I, I understand the states controlling state uh, elections and state positions. What we are talking about here are national candidates. Uh, the, the I understand. Uh, you look at Foner or Foot, Shelby Foot or McPherson. They all talk about, of course, the conflict after the Civil War. And there were people who felt very strongly about uh, retaliating against the South, the radical Republicans. Uh, but they did not think about authorizing the South to disqualify national candidates. And that's the argument you're making. And what I would like to know is, you give, is uh, do you have any examples of this? Many of those historians have filed briefs in our support in this case. Strike three. Strike three, Mr. Murray. Third time, Justice Clarence Thomas asks you, what is an example historically of this happening? And you don't have an answer. Now he's going into the fact that they have briefs filed on this, but there is no example, there is no precedent for this. Colorado wants to be the first in history to do this at their state Supreme Court level, Maine as well, but there is no historical precedent for the states stopping someone, saying they're ineligible to even run for national office. Three strikes, you're out, Jason Murray. Three strikes, you're out. Many of those historians have filed briefs in our support in this case, making the point that the, the, the idea of the 14th Amendment was that both states and the federal government would ensure rights, and that if states failed to do so, the federal government certainly would also step in. But I think the reason why there aren't examples of states doing this is an idiosyncratic one of the fact that elections worked differently back then. States have a background power under Article II and the Tenth Amendment to run 
presidential elections, they didn't use that power to police ballot access until about the 1890s. And by the 1890s, everyone had received amnesty and these issues had become moot. So I don't think the history tells us. So they had this ability historically to do this, but they didn't do it because everyone received amnesty by the 1890s and it was a moot point. But when they did have the power and the people hadn't yet received any sort of amnesty, they still didn't do it. There was a window of which this would have been the time that they would have used Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and they didn't do it. And we even had Justice Roberts jumping in right after this. So look at Justice Thomas's question sort of from the 30,000 foot level. I mean, the whole point of the 14th Amendment was to restrict state power, right? States uh, shall not abridge privileges immunity. They won't deprive people of property without due process. Um, They won't deny uh, equal protection. And on the other hand, it augmented federal power under Section 5. Congress has the power to enforce it. So wouldn't that be the last place that you'd look for authorization for the states, including Confederate states, uh, to enforce, implicitly authorized, to enforce the presidential election process? That, that seems to be a position that is at, uh, at war with the whole thrust of the 14th Amendment and very ahistorical. That was Justice Roberts, who I know were, were told and were sold that he's a conservative justice, Sometimes he'll rule on the, the conservative side, but ever since he ruled Obamacare as a tax and legal uh, and, and, and subsequent other rulings uh, where Justice Roberts has sided with the left, he, I, I, I would not consider him a conservative justice. But he is making a great point here and absolutely burying Jason Murray. I remember he was already three strikes you're out because there was no precedent set after being asked several times by Justice Clarence Thomas, tell us when the states exercise this power to stop someone from being on a, for a national office. And he couldn't answer that question because there was no example and there was no precedent. And then I think here we have Justice Roberts putting the, the nail in the coffin saying, look, the 14th Amendment was made to limit the state's rights, right? To limit the state's rights. So these Confederate states couldn't do what they did again. And yet the whole argument that Jason Murray is making is that Colorado as a state has the right to do this, to keep someone off of the ballot. Or in other words, somehow the 14th Amendment, which was meant to limit states' powers, gave the state more power, which we see from Clarence Thomas and his line of questioning a power they never even used when they had it if they did indeed ever have it. But they didn't. And that's why it was never exercised. And that's why Jason Murray can uh, could not, after three opportunities, present an example of when it was used that the states could keep someone off of a national ballot. Okay, before we get into, to the to the question of insurrection. Let me show you what Justice Kagan said. Now, the left even has a problem. The left even has a problem. These leftist judges even have a problem with 
one state deciding if someone can even be on the ballot. Now, going into this, the leftist Marxist mockingbird media, these anti-constitution bastards in the legacy media were crying, oh no, the justices are just going to fold for Trump. Listen to this question from liberal judge Kagan is, is even doubtful and questioning. How is it that one state will be able to decide who can or cannot be president? This, this is pretty powerful. It's very powerful when it doesn't come from the supposed or from the actual conservative justices. Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation? That's right. That question came from a liberal justice. Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation? All right, let's, uh, let me show you a couple of clips having to do with if this even was an insurrection. So now let's go over to another liberal justice, Katanji Brown Jackson, discussing whether this was an insurrection with Jonathan Mitchell, Donald Trump's lawyer. Your reply brief says that it wasn't because I think you say um, it did not involve an organized attempt to overthrow the government. So That's one of many reasons. But for an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. And this and so riot the point that is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No, we didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either, Justice Jackson. Right? None of these criteria were met. This was a riot. It was not an insurrection. The events were shameful, criminal, violent, all of those things. But it did not qualify as insurrection, as that term is used in Section 3. So the Trump team prior to today had submitted a brief. And in the brief, they gave various reasons why this did not live up to the definition of an insurrection. And one of the reasons was it was not an organized attack to overthrow the government. That was one of the several reasons why it did not meet the criteria to be considered, you know, the, the activities of January 6th even be considered an insurrection. Well, leftist Justice Kataji Brown-Jackson was trying to make the point, well, just because it wasn't organized, does that mean that, that it wasn't an insurrection? That had it been, uh, that because it was chaotic and not organized, that means that that it's, it's it's not an insurrection. I mean, this really is, I think, a low-level argument for someone who's on the Supreme Court, but it is what it is. This is unfortunately, I mean, this is not a race thing. Look how brilliant we have black man, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas compared to Katanji Brown-Jackson. And then you heard there uh, Mr. Uh, Mitchell clearly say, no, we don't concede at all that this was an insurrection because everything that we outline in the brief shows that this was not a concerted effort to overthrow the government at all. It was a riot. It was a protest that went into a riot. It was, not only was it not organized and chaotic, it wasn't, it wasn't at all an insurrection, whether it was chaotic or organized. It was nothing more than a riot that this court has held. You're not contesting this or asking us to revisit that decision in Thornton or term limits or whatever you want to call it, 
that it has to come from some federal constitutional authority. No, we are not, Your Honor. Okay. All right. There was, there was another juicy part here. And this very, very vital as well. And this came from Neil Gorsuch. Section three is about holding office. It's not about who can run for office. And there is a distinction there because someone can run for office and then when they actually get to, they, they say they win that seat and get that national office, they can not be seated, which has been done in Congress, or Congress could then rule that this person isn't eligible to hold the office even though they've run for the office and have won it. In other words, there is a legal distinction between holding an office and being able to be sworn in to that office and running for the office. You can run for the office and then be determined after the fact that you can't hold that office. With that out of the way, Section 3 is only about holding office, not about who can run for office, which pretty much destroys everything that the Colorado lawyer, lawyers in their briefs and in their arguments even presented. And, and, and here we're not talking about the qualifications clause, right? Um, nobody's talking about whether he's 35 years old or natural born, whatever, right? The, not, not an issue, okay? We're talking about something under uh, the 14th Amendment and Section 3. So that's where you have to find your authority, right? We find our authority in Article 2, in states' plenary power to run their elections. Federal election. But this is for a federal office. It has to come from the Constitution, and you're seeking to enforce Section 3. We're, we're suggesting that in their broad power to determine them, to select presidential electors in any manner they see fit, they can take account of Section 3 and apply Section 3. Could they do it without Section 3? Could they disqualify somebody for, uh, a, you know, on whatever basis they wanted outside of the qualifications clause? That would run into term limits, I yeah, think. Yeah, I would think so, right? So it has to come back to Section 3. And if that's true, how does that work, given that Section 3 speaks about holding office, not who may run for office? Booyah! Booyah, Mr. Jason Murray. You're saying that section, you're applying Section 3 that he's an insurrectionist and that's why he shouldn't be on the ballot. But Section 3 is about who can hold office, not running for that office. So it has to come back to Section 3. And if that's true, how does that work? given that Section 3 speaks about holding office, not who may run for office. It was a point Mr. Mitchell was making earlier, and I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to it, because it seems to me that, that you know, that, that you're asking to enforce in an election some, uh, uh, context a, a provision of the Constitution that speaks to holding office. So it's different than the Qualifications Clause, which is all about who can run and then serve, yeah. I don't know that it is different. Okay. Other qualifications for office similarly talk about eligibility for the office. There's nothing unconstitutional about a 30-year-old trying to get on the ballot. Except for this disability can be removed, right, under Section 3. That's what's different about it. Wow. Now, you can see why, just listen to him, you can see why a Neil Gorsuch, a Kavanaugh, a Justice Roberts, Elena Kagan, She's, a, she's smart. 
Not as smart as the other ones. But you see why they got to at least the, the, the federal benches before they, they were tapped to be on the Supreme Court. And that's why it's so embarrassing to, to, to listen to and watch Sotomayor and Kataji Brown Jackson, which hurts me because I'm black and Puerto Rican and they're both black and Puerto Rican, you know, respectively, they're black and Puerto Rican. That's why DEI, as our brother Kevin McGarry is an expert on and points out that DEI is just a, a Marxist way of destroying our country. But this is why we can't have race-based people ascending to, I mean, look at Harvard, to positions they haven't earned. And as a black person, this hurts us. But I digress. You see how powerful Neil Gorsuch is in making the argument, the legal argument. I'm no legal mind, but he brings up something very important. This, the section three is all about holding uh, it's, it's about holding office, not about who can run for office. And there's a mechanism to stop people from holding office that may have run for that office. And even Mr. Murray says that, yeah, even a guy who's 30 years old can run to be, can even work to be on the ballot. That's why there's a mechanism to stop a person from holding office, even though they've run for that office. Section three is about holding office, not running for office. So the whole thing's a moot point. Let the man run. And then if he's not eligible, we can stop him from holding office. Now, of course, we know using critical thinking and logic that that would be even more of a mess, right? To have someone who's running that shouldn't be able to run. But that's why the Constitution has already set who is eligible for run And it's Congress's job to amend the Constitution for who's eligible to run in the first place. And President Trump is eligible to run per the Constitution. Obviously, I'm not a legal mind and wouldn't have come up with that argument. But that's a brilliant argument that goes to the very basics of Section 3, being about holding office, not running for office. And I want to end with this last clip because it has something to do with that argument per se, but it goes back to insurrection. It goes back to insurrection. That if it's willy-nilly that anyone can say, oh, he's an insurrectionist, or another part of that section, aiding and abetting the enemy is an act of insurrection, then what stops people from saying that, oh, I don't know, Biden is ineligible to be president because he is getting giving aid and comfort to our enemy. This came from the great Justice Sam Alito. He doesn't say it's President Joe Biden, but let's listen to what he says and break it down. It's pretty freaking obvious and pretty brilliant if you ask me. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Uh, Justice Thomas. Justice Alito. And suppose there's a country that proclaims again and again and again that the United States is its biggest enemy. And suppose that the president of the United States, for diplomatic reasons, think that it's in the best interests of the United States to provide funds or release funds that, so that they can be used by that, by that country. Could a state determine that that person has given aid and comfort to the enemy 
and therefore keep that person off the ballot? No, Your Honor. This court has never interpreted the aid and comfort language. In other words, if the country of Iran, who screams death to America, that says that America and Israel are their biggest enemies, if they're able to do that, and Joe Biden's able to send them billions of dollars in aid, able to unfreeze their account and give aid and comfort to Iran, then can a state later say that Joe Biden can't be on the ballot because he has given aid and comfort to the enemy? Of which Jason Murray says no, because the courts have never determined the aid and F, uh, the aid, uh, uh, aiding and abetting of the enemy. And guess what? The courts have never defined insurrection in the way that Colorado is applying it either. Pretty seems, uh, pr- seems pretty obvious to me that Colorado is going to lose this and Trump is going to remain on the ballot, which is going to destroy Maine's attempt to keep him off the ballot. And this, at least for now, depending on what ruling the Supreme Court gives us, will put this to rest. And the unfortunately, the deep state are going to have to move on to their other plots and plans to keep President Trump from winning or being able to take office which would be to jail him or to kill him. But this idea of keeping him off the ballot is sure to fail. Situation where we have put together and you guys did did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. 